0: Well, praise the Lord, and welcome again to this uh, teaching on the book of Ephesians. Let's just go ahead in prayer and dive into the message. Father, we want to thank you for the incredible privilege we have to bring forth your word, which is able to save our souls. I thank you, Lord, for every man, every woman, under the sound of my voice, that as they hear your word tonight, their hearts will be established, that they will be built up by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that in so doing, Lord, their faith will be firmly rooted upon the love of God that surpasses human knowledge or experience. I thank you, Lord God, for this privilege. I thank you that your word is already blessed and anointed, and I thank you that your people will take heed to this word. Blessed be your name forever, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And so as we dive into this, message this evening. I want to encourage you if you've not done so already, call your friends, your family member, send them a link, let them know this message is taking place because I truly believe that this series of messages are going to be a tremendous help to every one of us who receives the understanding from it in Jesus name. And so tonight I want to minister as I said on Sunday morning on how to receive your inheritance. How to receive your inheritance. Now, remember, I did not say how to get it, but how to receive it, because it's already given. Okay, so let's just dive into it right now. Let me define that word inheritance. From the English dictionary, it simply means the assets that an individual bequeaths to their loved ones after they pass away. However, the biblical translation, or in the biblical sense, There's a little difference. In the biblical sense, an inheritance, or to inherit means to receive an irrevocable gift. Let me say that again. In the biblical sense, an inheritance is an irrevocable gift with the emphasis on a special relationship between the benefactor and the recipients. Huge difference. Amen. Again, again, inheritance in the biblical sense means for one to receive an irrevocable gift with an emphasis on the special relationship between the benefactor and the recipients. Let me just dive in the scriptures right now. Let me dive in the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. The Bible says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. If you notice in that very first line, the word there is in the past tense. We have obtained. We are not obtaining, but we have obtained an inheritance. And another scripture in acts chapter 20 in verse 32 and if you are with us on sunday morning the very first sunday when we brought this message forth i share with you how paul called the elders of ephesus to himself to give them if you will the farewell instructions so that's where we're reading now acts 20 verse 32. here is paul giving the elders at ephesus his farewell Instructions. It says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Please emphasize that. Underline that in your scriptures. The word of his grace, which is able to build you up. What's going to build you up? What's going to build you up? The word of his grace is able to build you up and what? to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now, I'm going to go to another scripture, which I think is very, very important in order for us to understand exactly what took place at Ephesus. And that will be in First Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 uh, to 11. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Now, let me, let me, let me, just, let me, let me just give you the uh, uh, preface. For the scripture I'm about to read, I told you in that very first message that the church at Ephesus had the greatest depth of ministers or preachers or teachers, as far as we know. It was planted by by Paul. Aquila and Priscilla pastored there. Apollos pastored there. Timothy pastored there. And ultimately, Apostle John, the quote-unquote apostle of love, also pastor there. there. Take note of this. That church was planted based on the gospel of God's grace. Paul told us that in Acts 20. I believe in verse 21 or so. He made that absolutely clear. That church was planted on the basis of the gospel of God's grace. And then it was sealed, glory to God, by the apostle of love on the basis of God's love. Now, in that very first message, we established how the church at Ephesus left their first love. And basically what that meant was they began to rely upon themselves, their efforts, their merits, their performance, and looking away from Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of their faith, and they began to gloat upon the prominence of that church. After all, how many churches in a lifetime has Paul, Aquila, Priscilla, Timothy, and John passed on in it? Amen? So now, let me, and, 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 and let, let me establish this scripture from 1 from Timothy because you need to see this to fully understand this issue of inheritance. So here's what Paul says. He said, when I left for Macedonia, I urge you to stay there in Ephesus. So here we have a biblical reference to the fact that Timothy also was at Ephesus as a pastor. Okay? And stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Don't let, this, don't let them waste their time in endless discussion of myths, and spiritual pedigrees. These things only lead to meaningless speculations, which don't help people live a life of faith in God. The purpose of my instruction is that all believers will be filled with love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and genuine faith. They want to be known, watch this now, pay attention now, watch this, watch Paul's direct, specific warning to his son, Timothy, who is now pastor at Ephesus, verse 7, let me read that again. They want to be known as teachers of what? Of the law of Moses. But they don't know what they are talking about. Even though they speak so confidently, my goodness, it's almost as if Paul is looking into our time right now. Because all across the pulpits, in America, in Africa, in the uh, Latin America, all over the world, you have confident men and women proclaiming nothing but the law of Moses, or at best, mixed message, mixture. A little grace, or, or maybe even a lot of grace and a little law. And when you have a, a lot of grace and a little law, at the end of the day, what, is, what, is, what does it become? It's all law. So Paul, way back then, was one of these people. Now, they love Moses. I'm going to go read verse 8, but let me just, let me just take a moment to explain this, why this is so important, why Paul was warning Timothy to make sure that these men do not take hold or, or gain ground. Because they love Moses, is based on performance it is based on what me and you can do what me and you can accomplish for god remember this church was founded upon the gospel of grace remember ephesians 2 8 for by grace are you saved through faith and not others. it says the gift of god not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the foundation of this church. So these guys are now coming in and beginning to teach the law of Moses. What's the feature of the law of Moses? Performance. Self-effort. What I can accomplish. What I can do on my own for myself. That's the feature. So now that's what they're teaching. Let's go to verse 8. We know that the law is good and when used correctly. Yes, that's true. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless. Let let me just pause right there. How many of you listening to me tonight are lawless? How many? How many of you will raise your hand and say I'm lawless? (laughs) Lawless and rebellious. How many of you listening to this message will identify with being lawless, being rebellious? next it says to who are ungodly are you ungodly and sinful are you sinful who consider nothing sacred and defy what is holy is that you i think not who killed their father now wait a minute wait a minute how many of you listening to me tonight have killed their father and their mother or commit other murders are you seeing this i'm not making it up this is in the scriptures verse 10 the law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality i won't ask you to raise your hands on that one i will just let it fly or are slave traders liars promise breakers or who do anything else that contradicts the wholeness I mean, rather, the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news contrasted, I mean, con- entrusted to me by our blessed God. Now, do you understand now? The, the, I hope this scripture allows you to get a glimpse as to the problem and issues Paul is trying to address in Ephesians. He founded that church on the basis of God's grace. He taught those guys and laid the foundation properly about the grace of God. Okay? Again, by grace... While you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift, gift, gift. You don't work to earn a gift. A gift is a gift. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So when Paul leaves, these lawyers, shall I call them? Those who proclaimed the law of Moses, they were creeping in. And they were gradually telling the people, it's not free. You have to earn it. You have to work for it. If you don't work for it, you don't get it. You're and on and on and on. That's how this church at Ephesus took their eyes off of God and they began to get off. And unfortunately, Jesus had to come in Revelation chapter 2, in verse 4, to challenge them to not live their first love. Meaning, don't think you can accomplish anything on your own. You have to trust on the love of God, God's love for you that now empowers you and enables you to uh, uh, help you to respond to God appropriately. Okay? Now, having said all of that, let's dive into the main, main issue for tonight. How to receive your inheritance. Very, very simple. Very, very simple. Number one, you must be born again. You must become a part of the family of God. John chapter 1 verse 11 says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Okay? But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Amen? Another scripture for you, Galatians chapter 4, verse 5 and verse 7, Galatians chapter 4. In verse 5, this is what it says. Uh, actually, verse 4 is where it starts. It says, when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made, uh, g- g- God sent forth the son, born of a woman, made under the law. And then verse 5 now says, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? Why? That we might receive the adoption of sons. And then verse 7 now puts a real bow on top of this gift. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Don't ever forget that. When you become born again, you become an heir of God through Christ. In other words, you become a part of God's family, and as a result of that, you have inheritance. Again, another scripture for you, Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 5, it says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So the first thing that must happen in order for you and I to become a part, or rather to receive our inheritance, you have become part of the family amen you have to become a part of the family and you can do so by being born again being born again simply means you acknowledge that jesus christ was sent by god to die and was buried and raised again from the dead to take upon your sins cancel your sins and forgive you of your sins and therefore an exchange takes place as a result of your believing in in what jesus has done an exchange exchange takes place you become born again you take on his righteousness because he has taken all your sins amen so being born again simply means i acknowledge jesus that he died for my sins and rose again from my dead and that i believe that once you believe that in a simple prayer god immediately grabs you as part of his family and that qualifies you immediately instantly for God's inheritance. So number one, be born again. Number two, and this is critical. If there's any other English language to describe what I'm saying, then I'll have to find it. I I, you know, I, when I paid money to go online English, I did, they didn't teach me that one. But, but I know it's critical, hugely critical. And that is, you have to know what's yours. In a human situation, when a man or a woman dies and leaves an estate for his children, you don't assume that because you're a child that you just automatically know what is in the estate. You have to go to the reading of the will, so to speak. And at the reading of the will, the the executor of that will will announce to all the family members one by one by one what comes to each person. So if you don't know what comes to you, you will not be able to lay claim to it. That's the bottom line. And unfortunately for many believers, that's been the situation. We've not read the will, and therefore, we don't know what's there. So in in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, this is what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This is your will. This is your inheritance. Now, let me just take a moment to make a distinction between, <laughs> between this will and the wills that we're familiar with. In a human will, where a father or mother a wealthy man or woman leaves an inheritance or leaves an estate for his children after they are gone you notice in those wills there are limitations if the man left with the house and the business well you cannot you cannot you cannot say okay i have the house and the business and xyz you are only giving in the human realm the things that's been listed for you in that particular estate, that's it. You cannot presume to take anything else that's not been bequeathed to you. That is important, we understand that. Okay? Now, in the case of what Paul is telling the Ephesians church, he said, blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every Store blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. In other words, this inheritance is unlimited. Oh, hallelujah. This is a custom-made inheritance for you. In other words, everything you need, everything you will need, has been taken into account. Amen unlike the human will where they give you a car, a house, or a business, and you cannot presume to own anything other than that what's given. No. In this case, the Bible makes it clear, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You are not left out from nothing. Everything God owns belongs to you. Oh, glory to God. This is very, very important to understand that. Now, in saying this now, I need to break this down further. To really help us to really grasp it. I can tell you the story of uh, Jacob and Esau in the book of Genesis. I may not fully flesh this out, but I just want to help you understand God's intent in giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay? So in Genesis 25 verse 29, Uh, One day Jacob was cooking some stew. Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Look, I'm dying of salvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, First, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So from so Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Verse 34. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed, now watch this, watch this. This, this, last, this next sentence is important. In, in, he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Let me just stop right there for, 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 for right now. Now, you must understand the rights of the firstborn in the Old Testament. The rights of the firstborn in the Old Testament was a right that was conferred upon the firstborn to giving them a double portion of the inheritance of the father. This right was conferred to this firstborn for several reasons. Number one, that right of the firstborn conferred on that oldest son the right of headship in the family, which means that first, first son became the priest of the family. It became spiritually responsible for the rest of the family, guiding them, teaching them, and helping them walk with God. Secondly, that right to the firstborn was also given. Secondly, to make allowance for the added expenses that might come upon the firstborn in order to carry out these responsibilities. And then, of course, to take care of the wife that's left behind or, and the daughters that are not named in the inheritance. So this firstborn carried a huge responsibility spiritually as the head of the family. And in this case of Israel, or Isaac, The headship of the family will be the headship through which the Messiah, Jesus, will come. And secondly, to be able to be financially sovereign, capable of taking care of all all the family, the mother that's left, and the daughters that may need to be taken care of. So the right of the firstborn was a very, very important one. So in this story we just read, Esau despised that responsibility. He did not want to be spiritually responsible and he did not want to serve his family. He said, what's that got to do with, with Give me some food, man, I'm, I'm not thinking about that. Okay. Now, let's move to the next scripture in Genesis 25. No, Genesis 27, I'm sorry, verse 39. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, you will live among, live away from the riches of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword, you serve your brother, but when you decide to break free you will shake his yoke from your neck now this is this is a very 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 sad commentary because what happened is after Esau sold is birthright to jacob jacob of course stepped in prepared the food for his father and received the blessing that would, that should have gone to esau okay and as a result of receiving that blessing now this is the important point i really want you to take from this message when isaac blessed jacob when he gave him that spiritual blessing and conferred that blessing upon him, and you can read that in Genesis 25, part and parcel of that blessing was both the spiritual blessing of the birthright and the physical blessings of the earth. Everything came together in that one blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob. So now, after Esau, came back and brought some food and realized, oh, my father, you've given my blessing away to, to Jacob, my brother. Oh, goodness. Do you only have one blessing? Please bless me as well. Now, notice Esau now, he, did not, he despised his birthright, but not the blessing. He, didn't want, he did not want the responsibility, but he wanted the physical blessing. And Isaac had to say, oh, man, what am I going to do? How am I going to find a blessing for you? And finally, he came up with something. My goodness, you will live by your sword, really? And you will serve your brother, really? But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck." So in, in other words, unfortunately, he really didn't bless him. Now this is the point I'm trying to make. Back to Ephesians 1 verse three: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ." The point I'm trying to make is this: What did Jacob seek? The spiritual blessing, birthright. That's what they sought. That's what they sought. And you and you'll be amazed to hear God later say, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Now, God is not saying he hates Esau as in hating him to kill him or as in happy, hating him to despise him. No, that word hated there in the amplified translation means simply that God preferred Jacob to Esau. Why? Because Jacob recognized the spiritual potency of the birthright and the blessings that come along with it. My point for us tonight is this. Many of us, many, 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 many of us, spend too much time, like Esau, seeking the physical blessings. Woo! Let me take a drink on that one. Mm. Ah. ah did you hear what I just said? Many of us. If we go to any of our prayer vigils, if we go to our prayer meetings, every, most of the prayers we pray specializes on the things that God has minimized, if you will. Pastor, are you saying I should not be concerned about my welfare? No. Pastor, are you saying I should not be concerned about where I live, what clothes to put on, what food to eat, how to my No, I'm not saying any of those things. What I am saying is that you have not fully recognized how to key into those things without spending, without spending all those moments and hours praying for things that are temporary. Things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Okay? Oh, my goodness. Notice again what God did with Jacob. The man received the birthright, which means the headship of the family, the spiritual responsibility for his family for his home as the head of the priest but along with that jacob's needs were met because jacob prioritized the spiritual blessing over the physical blessings yes my friend i want to challenge you tonight go through the pages of the new testament I challenge you. I double, double, double dare you. I challenge you. Go and find from the pages of the New Testament, anywhere where the apostles prayed, the kind of prayers we are praying. I challenge you. Go and find for me where they pray for their rent being paid, their food food being on the table, close to where. Go and find it for me. You will never find it. Because that was not the priority. Not only that, they understood how to get those needs met. Getting those needs met, oh my God. Did God not say that God reigns on the just and on the unjust? Did he not say that God understands what you need to wear and eat before you ever know it? He already knows that. That's his name, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh simply means the God that meets your need before you ever know you're going to have a need. The point is, God has already done it. All the things that you and I fret about, worry about, anxious about, concerned about, my goodness, God has already done those things. See, that's what Jesus said. Seek ye for the kingdom, okay? And all its righteousness, and all these other things shall be added. That's what he said. He said the Gentiles seek all the things you and I are praying for right now. Unfortunately, I can just imagine Jesus looking down on our prayer videos. Are you saying you should not pray? No, I'm not saying we should not pray. We should pray. Absolutely. We should pray. We should pray more. But the issue is what are we praying? And how are we praying? Amen? So now, number one, you must be born again. Number two, you must know what is yours. And I'm telling you tonight, everything God owns is game. Everything. Everything God has is yours. All the promises of God to you and me are yes yes and amen, all of them. Nothing left out, glory to God. Nothing is left out. Now, in closing, I'm gonna show you how to convert the spiritual blessings to your physical natural needs being met, but, but, but let, let me get there for So, number one, be born again. Number two, know what's yours, know what's yours. Number three, ah, this is a good one. Be bold to ask. Be bold to not only know what is yours, but to ask. This is the true meaning of the parable in Luke 15. We're going to get there, but let me just read Hebrews 4:16. Hebrews 4, 16. "Let us, therefore, come what boldly, not timidly, not scared." My goodness, I remember in those days, you know, growing up. When I've scored a bad grade at home, at school, when I come home to ask for anything, I ask, I write a letter. I don't, I'll see my father, I can't ask him. I have to write him a letter and put it on his pillow. Out of fear! Because what? We operated by the law. You perform, you get. You don't perform, you don't get. It's simple. Wow, well, God is not like that. Let us therefore come boldly, boldly. So that throne of grace, not the throne of judgment, not the throne of uh, condemnation, that throne of grace. Grace simply means God's love, God's tender mercies, God's loving kindness. Come to that throne boldly that we may obtain mercy. Why do we need mercy? We've messed up. God already knows that. So he says, come to my throne. Ah, that's the thing God loves so much about David. Rather than running away from God, he runs run to God. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Now, like I said, this is what Jesus was trying to teach us in Luke chapter 15, in the parable of the young son. Let me read it from verse 10. Luke 15, verse 10. Uh, let me see what it says. Luke 15, verse 11. I'm sorry, from verse 11. Okay. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. Verse 12, and the younger of them said to his father. 'Ah, Man, I I don't know why I've missed this for so long. Did you read, did did you just see what I just said? What the thing said? And the younger of them said to his father. 'He, he, He wasn't begging his father. In fact, he was not asking. Simply said to the father, the same way your son comes home from school and says, There's no pop tart, which is a coded language, say, Mama, Daddy, go get one. The same way in which your kids say, There's no more milk in the refrigerator, and they are not asking how much it costs, they don't care if it went from one dollar to ten dollars, they don't care, it's not their concern. Just go and buy another one because I'm about to eat my cereal and I need milk, go get it. The younger of them said to his father, he wasn't asking, father. Notice what he said. It is a God, it's a father. Relationship. This is the issue here. Not transaction. Relationship. You can only call God father because there's a relationship. Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. <laughs> look at the father so he divided to them his livelihood he didn't ask any question he didn't say this that don't know theologians many of us have put our human construct in this passage we are saying the boy is asking for something the father is not dead no jesus know what he was doing when he gave us this parable a parable is a natural story that's told in order to illustrate a spiritual truth in other words this son as me and you and all of us are children of God. This son, as a son, as a son to, God, to the father, he understood his identity. And on the basis of that understanding, he simply was asking for inheritance that belonged to him, not after his father passes, but while the father was still living. Because that's the way our inheritance today works. Our inheritance today is for me and you to enjoy now, not when we get to heaven. Now, right now, 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 now. That's the essence of this story that Jesus told. It was simply helping us to understand that you and I should not defer what we want, what we we need to a future realm, a future future dispensation. The boy asked for the inheritance on the spot, okay? And Jesus did not condemn him for that. The father did not rebuke him for that. Why? Because this story is intended to teach you and I that even today, we've obtained an inheritance, as we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. We've obtained an inheritance, and therefore, if we've obtained it, we need to begin to spend it, to, to, to work in it, to participate, to receive from that inheritance what's duly us because of what Jesus Christ has already done. Unbelievable. So be bold. Be bold. You come boldly to the throne of grace. So again, number one, you are born again. Number two, you know what's yours. Number three, you, you are bold to us. And lastly, lastly, how do we convert these spiritual blessings in heavenly places to the reality to pay my bills tomorrow? To buy a new car tomorrow? To pay for my rent tomorrow? to pay for my tuition tomorrow. Because I told you that the New Testament do not catalog those needs and use it as prayer point as we do today. No, they don't. Let, let me first read the scripture, and then I'm going to explain, and then we're going to close. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 through 12 says, But as it is, as is, as is this reading, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them. No, no, okay, so that was not again. Let, let, let me just explain something was nine again. We've read this scripture many times, including myself, just truly. And we used to readily just dismiss this as, as talking to me and you as a believer. The correct reading of this scripture will be, I, the eye of the believer, no, the eye of the unbeliever has not seen, nor the ear of the unbeliever heard, nor has it entered the heart of the unbeliever the things which god has prepared for them who love him this is talking about unbeliever and it's true as an unbeliever you have no idea your eyes have not seen them your ears have not heard it is not in your heart because in verse 10 it makes a clear distinction verse 10 says but god has revealed them to us who's us me and you born again believers through his spirit You can only have your spirit when you are born again. For the spirit such as all things, yes, the deep things of God. Verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man, which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Okay. How do we make this conversion? Okay, okay. Verse 12. This is good. Verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. See, now this is what qualifies verse uh, eight. We have received not the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world is eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear, and heart that cannot grasp or comprehend. We have not received that kind of a spirit, but the spirit who is from God, that we, we believers, we believers, might know the things that have been freely, ah, underline that, freely, Given to us by God freely, that's what it says freely, not with merit, not with earning, not with works, freely given. Okay, let me just close this up. Mm. How, how now? Now, notice what Paul did in that first chapter of Ephesians, he, he, he gave them a treasure trove of information. So, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1 now, verses 17 through 18. He, he, he realized, he's given them, he's downloaded to this church so much information. And he immediately at the end of the chapter, prays for them. Actually, I can start from verse 15. Let me just start from verse 15. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What is the praying? How do I get my rent paid? How do I get my tuition fees for my children paid? How do I pay for my home? How do I maintain my lifestyle that God has given me? How? How do I translate these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places to a place of manifestation? How do I convert it? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom, wisdom, and revelation in the knowledge of him. Let me just stop right there for a minute. Wisdom, the Bible says in Proverbs, is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all of that getting, get understanding. This is what most of us lack. Your money is not lost. Your mortgage is not lost. Uh, what you need for your car is not lost. The husband you're looking for is not lost. Your, the wife you're looking for is not lost. None of those things are lost. You just need the wisdom. Wisdom meaning tapping into what God has already done. Asking him, Lord Jesus, where is the resources to pay for my rent, for my car, whatever your need is. You need wisdom. Wisdom. Jesus, I'm thanking you for the now wisdom that I need in this situation. Rather than pursuing dollars and cents, pursue wisdom. Jesus is wisdom personificated, personificated. Yes. The Bible says, Jesus has been made unto you and I all wisdom, all righteousness, all sanctification. He has been made already to us. And then he says to us in James, if any man lack wisdom, ask of him. He gives liberally. He does not upbraid. Wisdom is the principle thing. Rather than chasing these physical things, chase the spiritual. Wisdom. A man or a woman, that oppressing wisdom is a man or woman that will never lack. Because God would direct you to where where, 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 where the resources are. All the time. How did Jesus leave? He didn't have a bank account. Jesus didn't have an ATM card. He didn't have a MasterCard or Amex. He didn't have any of those things. But when the need came, Boom. He was able to call upon the wisdom of God to meet the need. That's the issue. We lack wisdom, but we're praying for dollars. Oh my God. We lack wisdom. we pray for husband. we pray for wife. No. You ask God, Jesus, give me your wisdom in this situation. Whatever that situation is. Remember? He's given you every blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So the issue is, how do you convert from heaven to the earth? He has already said it. He said, "Let my will be done on the earth as it is in heaven." So you know, you know that He wants to meet that need on earth as he's already done in heaven. The eyes of your understanding, verse 18, Ephesians 1:18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened—that's the problem. We need to see. We need to see where the resources are. Remember the story of Elisha and his servant in Second Kings chapter six. He was fretting, was anxious because he thought the enemies had surrounded them. Why? Because he could not see beyond his natural realm. My goodness. I'm speaking to someone tonight that God will open the eyes of your understanding. And all the things you've been fretting about, you've been concerned about, and you've been warned about, that when God opens your eyes, the light of God will take over you, and you will see how God has magnific- magnificently made a provision, made a way for you where there seems to be no way, and that light of God will guide you to the place you need to be so that you can have that need met. His word will come a, a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, and therefore you'll be able to really, really, really see what God has already done for you. He's done it. He's not doing it. He's done it. He's done it. But the eyes of our understanding has to be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Don't you know that God has an inheritance in you? You and I are also God's inheritance. We are are what make God rich. Don't you understand that? Ah, my goodness. So I really pray that God will help you and I, that we will have a paradigm shift in our praying. That our prayer now will be more asking for God, asking God to give us you not know, the wisdom, uh, the spiritual wisdom, and the revelation in the knowledge of Him. Him who? Jesus. Jesus. Father, in this need that I have, reveal Jesus to me. Let me see the Son of God. Hallelujah. The one that loved me so dearly, that gave his life for me, that was dead, buried, and rose again from the dead for my victory. God, help me to see Jesus in my hour of need. Because once Jesus is revealed to you, those needs become strangely dim. Because Jesus becomes bigger and better. It becomes larger than the life. It becomes larger than the issue. It becomes larger than the problem. The issue is Jesus. Amen? So God bless you, and I hope to see you next Sunday as we continue these teachings. In the meantime, I pray that God's revelation knowledge will light up in the inside of you. You come to a place of understanding, a place of receiving his wisdom, and a place of manifesting his glory on the earth. And so I just want to encourage you in this December to remember, be a blessing to God, give, just push the button there and just be a blessing to God. Uh, in Whichever way you can do it, you can give through Cash App, text to give, mix checks, payable, whatever the means are. Just participate. Amen? God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week. Amen.